millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Formerly fat Mikey Pompeo of the Sopranos shocked the world by dropping out of the American presidential race. After much thought and prayer, Susan, whoever she is, and I have decided that now is not my time. All that keto gone to waste because Pompeo practically wasted away in order to run for president. Now, why have I such animus towards him? Well, many reasons. He made it abundantly clear that he, in the United States of America, would make it impossible for the then Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, to be elected as Britain's Prime Minister. And I tend to disapprove of interfering in elections in other people's countries. But perhaps most importantly, the highly developed plan that Fat Mikey had made to literally murder Julian Assange on the streets of London, a hundred yards from Harrods, the wonder store, filled with American tourists, some of whom would have been Mikey Pompeo's gunmen, who had the blueprint, the plans, the tools, and the absolute determination. If Julian Assange had walked out of that embassy building, as some were trying to persuade him to do, Pompeo was going to have him murdered in cold blood on the streets of London. So you'll understand that I am filled with ire, not just about the fact that he was even remotely credibly running for president, but that Donald Trump gave him that job in the first place. It's been an effortless rise for Pompeo, head of the CIA, where we lied, we cheated, we stole, as he himself told us, all the way to almost the top of the American political tree. More even than the high positions of Donald Trump and Joe Biden themselves, the rise of Mike Pompeo tells us everything about the dysfunctionality of America. Ten people were shot in a mass shooting at a teen birthday party. I think it was today, it might have been yesterday, it might be tomorrow. It's the worst mass shooting since the last one and the worst mass shooting before the next one. We'll all soon be told, nothing to see here, move on. We were fixated, however, by plastic Paddy Biden staggering around in the Emerald Isle. He spent very little time in what he called Northern Ireland, but he stayed long enough to push the British Prime Minister, whom he had earlier referred to as Rashid Sanouk, out of the way to salute a random white guy in a fancy uniform. Don't think I'm exaggerating, that is literally what he did. He seemed to confuse the British Prime Minister 
with either the guy that was going to carry his luggage or shine his shoes or in any case of absolutely zero importance in the so-called special relationship. He pushed them aside to salute a guy who was probably the commissioner of the local version of Harrods department store, certainly no one of any significance, whose name and face will remain anonymous except as the guy for whom the British Prime Minister was pushed aside. Mind you, he is a diminutive runt. It's difficult to make eye contact with him. You have to look down in order to do so. Maybe that's what confused poor old confused Joe. But he spent little time there and contributed nothing to the breaking of the logjam either between Britain and the European Union over the north of Ireland or for the overarching purpose you would have thought for a man wearing a shamrock on his sleeve and with a leprechaun on his shoulder. No, that was Rishi Sunak. He did nothing to help promote the case for the reunification of Ireland. And as for all those Irish Republicans, they shall be nameless, some of them for many decades, friends and comrades of mine, who lined up to grin into the camera and welcome home Joe Biden, I say you should be embarrassed to have done so. Joe Biden is the killer of Cubans. Remember Cuba, Jerry? Joe Biden is the killer of Iraqis, the biggest mouthpiece, megaphone, for the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Remember the Iraqis, Jerry? He is the biggest supporter of Barack Obama's destruction of the Libyan Republic and the sodomy and murder of Colonel Gaddafi. Remember Colonel Gaddafi, Jerry? He is the man who has presided over the growth of a small nation of black African Americans in prison as a result of the penal policies that he almost alone pioneered in his long years in the Senate. There are 25% of the world's prisoners in the United States of America, a country with less than 5% of the world's population. And a grossly disproportionate number of those are black prisoners. Remember, black people, Jerry. Joe Biden is Israel's greatest supporter in the United States Senate and now in the White House. He therefore has the blood of generations of Palestinian people on his hand. Remember the Palestinian people, Jerry? Remember them? He's the man who has presided over the United States' involvement in the murderous war against Yemen. Remember the Yemenis, Jerry? He is the man that cheered on the invasion and destruction of Syria. Remember the Syrians? Jerry, I could go on. But I don't think I have been too harsh. Joe Biden is not just a clown. He is a dangerous clown. A man with blood on his hands. To meet him may be inescapable. To grin for selfies with him is inexcusable. Now the war drags on and Easter made no difference as 
Orthodox churches burned literally to the ground in western Ukraine as priests were shackled and strapped with direction finders on their legs so that they could not move beyond the purview of President Zelensky. As churches were declared closed down, the people in the East were celebrating Easter. In Donetsk, they went to the beautiful cathedral there in which I have myself prayed. But last night, as the service was underway to celebrate Easter, Zelensky fired shells into the cathedral, wounding many and murdering a young woman who turned out to be a pregnant young woman, two for the price of one Zelensky. Nobody should be surprised about it. The man is a thief, according to Seymour Hirsch, apart from all the other things that he might be. How so? Seymour Hirsch explained in detail. The United States gave a billion dollars to the Ukrainian regime to help them through the cold winter by buying fuel. But instead of buying non-Russian fuel, which according to the sanctions they were bound to do, Zelensky bought on the black market cheaper Russian diesel and skimmed $400 million for himself and his comprador to make hay with, to buy mansions with, to prepare for the day when they are no longer required to be cold potatoes in Kiev, when they can luxuriate on the beach in Florida or on the beach in Tel Aviv. Take your pick. The United States has said nothing about this. Seymour Hersh, the Pulitzer Prize winner journalist who revealed the truth about the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines, is the man who broke the story of Abu Ghraib prison, who broke the story about the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. No journalist could be of greater note alive in the world today, but the United States media has completely ignored a story about the grand larceny of American taxpayers' money. The United States media is more concerned about hush money to Stormy Daniels than about the slush money to Vladimir Zelensky. We'll be talking to the one and only Jimmy Dore about this and other American stories in just a few minutes' time. But I noted that the Chinese defense minister was in the Kremlin with President Putin just hours ago. The Chinese defense minister may or may not have been there to coordinate actions with the Russian government. He may or may not have been there to discuss Taiwan. Certainly, the Washington Post today believes that it is the latter. They say that they picked up signs that China is about to invade Taiwan and take the reunification of their own country back into their own hands. Now, they would be fully entitled to do so, and they may indeed well do so. And certainly the policies of Western countries, particularly the United States, are making much more likely that a military action will be taken before 
Taiwan becomes transformed into a poison pill. And as I've said here before, if I was running China, Taiwan would already be back in the unified motherland. But I'm not running China. And the Chinese are famously patient and circumspect. And so to me, it is unlikely that they are about to invade Taiwan. And so I consider the Washington Post disinformation to be merely that, further cover for the powers that want to build up more and more military bases and nuclear hardware around China in order to intimidate it, in order to divide and conquer it. I don't believe that that will succeed either. But I am absolutely persuaded that we are in the grips of a major disinformation psyops against China. Russia, of course, that psyops is now a hot war in which both the British secret SAS Special Forces Unit are, without parliamentary knowledge or approval, actually in Ukraine. And the number of dead Americans coming back from Ukraine tells you just how many mercenaries or maybe volunteers from the United States Armed Services are in Ukraine. We know that the Russian missile attack on Kinzhal killed 140 NATO officers in a bunker deep under the ground. So that psyops is now a hot war. But the psyops against China is now reaching its apogee. Every fake news story that can be adduced to induce a war psychosis of the inevitability of war with China is now underway, deeply underway, profoundly influencing the public opinion landscape. They hope in Western countries. It's certainly working in America and I fear it's working also in Britain. Nobody, for example, reported the fact that the Dalai Lama was caught on camera French kissing a little boy and asking him into a microphone if the little boy would like to lick his tongue. If a Chinese leader had done this, it would, of course, have been the number one item on the news. But it wasn't on the news at all in Western countries. Why not? Because the Dalai Lama is a key actor in the attempt to surround China with Kazos Belly, Tibet, Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, the Falun Gong, uh, the uh, so-called Muslim question, the Paracel Islands, the South China Sea, the Taiwan Straits, a hellish orchestra of issues that can be called in by the conductor at any time of his pleasing. The Dalai Lama disappearing story, though, was as nothing compared to the disappearing story of Russian disinformation in the leaked documents from the Pentagon. I want to leave you with this thought because I have not seen it written down anywhere or heard it said anywhere in the mainstream media. Every single state-funded, state-affiliated Western media outlet 
in print and on air, said that the leaked Pentagon documents were either faked or partly faked or had been altered by Russian disinformation factories with numbers swapped, numbers of Russian dead swapped for Ukrainian dead and vice versa. And yet the very same media outlets are now telling us a 28-year-old boy, Texera, actually leaked these documents, stole them from the Pentagon, gravely damaged America and its allies and the war effort in Ukraine by putting truthful documents into the public domain. Well, both of these can't be true, can they? If the Russians altered them, how can they be the documents that Texera leaked? If Texera leaked them, he must have leaked them before any Russians or Chinese got the chance to alter them. And yet not one embarrassed apology for yet another fake news offensive from the Western media that told us to disregard these documents. Disregard them and at the same time suppress them. That's why you haven't read hardly any of them because the Western media agreed to the Pentagon demand that they should be suppressed, even though they had been faked, even though they had been stolen and distributed by one of the United States' own National Guardsmen, aged 21. How to look five different ways at once without even having to explain it. It is an extraordinary gymnastic Feet, but nothing like the mental entertainment gymnastics you are about to experience when I welcome the one and only genius Jimmy Dore onto the show right after this short break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I was on his show on Wednesday. It was a sublime experience, at least for me. This man is a superstar. Please welcome the comedian, commentator, satirist, and host of the legendary Jimmy Dore show, the one and only Jimmy Dore. Jimmy, welcome. Uh, to the show. Uh, a great pleasure to see you again. Um, 
Let me ask you, if I may, first about this uh, 21-year-old boy uh, that's been shanghaied uh, by military. Even my children were asking me why he was being arrested by soldiers rather than policemen. Um, if he's guilty, it was never Russian disinformation from the beginning. If he is guilty, what has he done other than what good journalism is supposed to do? Get your hands on inconvenient truths that contradict the lies that our rulers are telling us. And therefore, why isn't he being given a Pulitzer Prize uh, rather than shackles and irons? So uh, the the irony is this is a real mask off moment for at least the press in the United States, um, because it was the press that instead of using and trying to cultivate this a guy as a source, which is what you're supposed to do as a journalist. You're supposed to uh, cultivate sources like that. And then you're supposed to teach them how to protect themselves. And you're supposed to protect them from prosecution because they're the ones getting you the documents that are exposing crimes or lies uh, that the people have a right to know about. And they did the exact opposite. It was the Washington Post who did a story. They went on the discord that this young man, uh, I guess, apparently leaked this stuff on and they talked, they did the investigation for the FBI, found out who he was, and then we told everybody. And the same thing with the New York Times. And it was like, this is the opposite. If you were a journalist, this would be the opposite of how you would act. And so they realized that they're what, what I think if you're looking, but of course people aren't, but if you are looking, you would see that the, it was a real mask off moment for the, the press in the West, in the United States for sure. They went to the Pentagon and they had a press briefing with the Pentagon and they weren't, they were all there upset that the Pentagon let this leak. Instead of talking about the lies that it revealed that the government had told, the fact that we're actually now in a hot war with a nuclear power, uh, they didn't talk. They were upset and they wanted to know how they're going to crack down on this guy, how they're going to crack down on future leakers, how they're going to secure these kind of documents. Those were their questions. Their questions weren't about. So uh it, it all it never smelled right from the beginning uh why would a 21 year old national guard like that's not that's like not even in the act of you know i don't know how if in in the united states the, the national guard is is like you're not even full-time they're not full-time in the um in the military so why would someone like this get access to something that is supposed to be so embarrassing why is that right I don't know. There's there's speculations, but uh, it all doesn't smell right. And you're exactly right, also, that what 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 did remember Vindman? Uh, what was his name? Vindman. He was the one who released uh, those documents to try to get Trump in trouble. Everybody praised him. Hey, how about the person who leaked the documents on the Supreme Court about their upcoming abortion ruling? Nobody even tried to find out who that is. Nobody's upset at that person. It's really funny how uh, the American press and the American establishment, how sometimes they really like leakers and sometimes they hate them. And uh, this is one of those cases where they're supposed to not like this guy. First of all, the questions that should be asked right now is about the government lying about being in a hot war with a nuclear power. The second uh, thing sh it should be, why would someone in this kid's position have access to 
stuff that's supposedly this embarrassing and sensitive. That's a, this is on you. It seems like maybe you get what are you setting something like this up to happen for sure? Why would you be doing that? So there's those are the questions I would be asking if I had access to the people who had to give me an answer for it. But those are not the questions that the American press have. So it's just a transparent what Matt, what Chomsky said, uh, you know, 25, 30 years ago, that the press is there not to tell you the truth about the news, but to manufacture consent for the establishment's narrative. And that's exactly what has happened. And, uh, you know, as I say, and I think I've said here before, you know, the American people don't know what's going on in Ukraine. They have no idea what's going on in Ukraine. But what's worse is that they have no idea that they have no idea what's going on. They think they know. That's the bad thing. They think Putin woke up one day and decided to invade Ukraine and he's a big, bad bully. No, but they don't even know about the coup instigated. They don't know anything about the Azov battalion and the stuff they do. They know it's been diminished. Uh, uh, they have no sense of the history of the expansion of NATO, that we're the aggressors. They have no they have uh, no sense of how many actual military bases the United States has around the world. And I got to tell you, George, that the, the United States is this is we're in a, uh, a death rattle of our economy right now and our empire. Right. Because we have people living under every bridge in every major city. They won't even give money to the cities to fix the bridges. Those people are living under. But they can send one hundred and ten billion dollars to the most corrupt country in Europe at the snap of a finger with no debate because everybody agrees because they all work for the same handful of billionaires for the military industrial complex and Wall Street, which are again, they work with each other and they have the same agenda. And so this is the problem in the United States. And they're all going along with it. Everyone in the in the progressive uh, Democratic Party voted for the Ukraine war funding. And uh, they they do it as if it's their Christian duty to fight evil instead of what it actually is, another economic proxy war that's going to put an awful hurt on the people of Ukraine, which they're being used as cannon fodder for an economic war by the West, uh, by actually the United States, because everybody in Europe, from what I can tell, I mean, I'm again, I'm a guy on YouTube in my garage, but uh, it seems like everybody's hurting because of this, except the United States, which gets to sell more liquefied natural gas at, I guess, a higher price. And uh, so it seems I, it's like, but don't you, but uh, I, maybe I'm talking too much, but it does. The good news is it seems like, uh, you know, with the efforts of uh, China and Russia to actually bring peace to Saudi Arabia and Iran and bring peace between Syria, it, it, it they're the peacemakers. They're the investors in the United States uh, with if you spin the globe, it's just filled and filled with military bases. We have they they admit to having like 850 or something like that. It's probably over a thousand because lots of them are are secret, right? But uh, no other country does anything like this. And you know, George, this is exactly how empires end. And we're ending exactly like they all do. We're overextending militarily. And we we won't even give our own people health care. We won't. We're raising the secure. Hey, here's a funny thing. In, in France, you know, they're they're setting the whole country on fire. There's millions and millions of people in the streets because they're raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. In the United States, they already raised it to 67. And because the media 
media is so bought, nobody even knows it. And the, you know what they're protesting in the United States? Bud Light because of the trans issue. It's the craziest thing. They have people completely distracted in the United States, which is why I don't think that the United States will ever change until our empire is over because the petrodollar is going away because of all this shenanigans. And the ironic thing, George, is this is exactly what they said Trump was going to create, this kind of world situation for the United States where they were all, even our friends are turning their back and it's now like France and uh, uh, Macron wants that. He doesn't want to be bootlicking anymore. And there, it seems like there's going to be a movement in Europe like that. But And now there's new power centers coming together to oppose the, the uh, hegemony of the United States and our economic power. There's got BRICS happening, right? So all that's the South America is thinking of uh, getting uh, going on their own currency. The, these are and you know what? We should be uh, trying to the only response that the West has is war. Yeah, they can knock you down. They can't build you up. Uh, China builds uh, airports, roads, bridges, ports, harbors. China builds you up, but the United States can knock you down. They still have the power to do that. But it is increasingly incohate, as you said. I like the point that you made about empire and the Bud Light thing. Um, the Roman Empire ended not just because it overextended, not just because it debased its own currency, but because its society itself became uh, debased. The last days of the Roman Empire were actually rather comparable uh, to the last days of ours. I'm going to say ours because we are two countries divided by a common language, but as events in Ireland showed uh, just the other day, we have effectively become one country and we don't even have a leader. He was pushed aside by your leader, physically, literally pushed aside so that Joe Biden could salute a guy uh, who turned out to be the airport commissioner who was wearing a fancy uniform uh, and had no other importance whatsoever. But before I get to him, as you described uh, the world turned upside down, I was thinking about the role that Trump is now playing. It's turned so upside down that all the liberals and leftists and progressives are the war party and yes. Donald Trump, who we were told was going to set the world on fire, he's the leader of the anti-war movement. Explain. So, yeah, that's exactly what a big reason why they wanted to get rid of uh, Donald Trump, right? Because uh, he wasn't as big a warmongers as they were. And, uh, you know, the thing they impeached him for was delaying shipments of arms to Ukraine. I mean, that's, this is, uh, yeah, this, so I try to tell people that... Uh, we 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 have to get people think that like oh bernie sanders or aoc or people in the squad or the justice democrat that they're in there fighting for you you that that only keeps people invested in this system and not doing things that are actually going to bring change right what the only thing that's going to bring change now in the united states is for people to give up hope in this system and try to somehow overthrow it in a radical way. Like the way the truckers did it in uh, Canada, that was really effective and it brought them to them need. It brought out the fascists, right? So at the end stage of capitalism, it becomes fascism. And that's where we are. That's what they did. They did that for, for capitalism. 
They they didn't do that to protect themselves from a foreign enemy. They did that to protect capitalism from these guys who were trying to to uh, uh, assert their liberty, right, and their freedom, and uh, and and protest against authoritarianism. So that's all they have left now. And you know now we're going to digital currencies, and they keep letting the truth slip out left and right. Yeah, every I keep every other day it seems like there's a. Uh, an interview with another uh, central banker admitting that they're, they want to have the control of people's money. And that's what this digital currency is about. The banks want this. It's uh, And that's what they did. So if you try to stand up against it, they call you a terrorist and then they now control your bank account and they can stop. Now you can't go travel. Now you can't go eat. You can't go pay any, your, your rent, your bills. You can't go to work. You can't do anything. They can make you a non-person, right? So we're living in the dystopian future that those uh science fiction writers have warned us about it's here and people don't realize it because we're the frog in the pot it's happened slowly it all started with the 9-11 in the united states when they started taking away all our rights and then barack obama got rid of habeas corpus which you know is a right to a speedy trial so now they can just put you in jail without a trial and all they have to do is say you're a terrorist they repealed habeas corpus which was in the magna carta so now the united states is operating on a liberty view from somewhere around the 1100s that's how bad that's how because this is all about capitalism and this is all about military industrial complex and wall street getting control of a government and this is what happens and this is the result of it and uh we're going down uh, as soon as the petrol dollar, so now, I mean, Saudi Arabia, you know as well as I, they're starting to sell oil in other denominations than the United States dollar. So that's that marks the beginning of the end for sure uh, of our dominance uh, in our dollar. And once that goes, that's it's going to be it's going to be really bad for the United States. But uh, the people running the country don't care. Right. We don't actually have people in the running the country. The people running the country are a handful of billionaires that run everything. There's only six media companies in the entire country of the United States. Six. So every newspaper, every magazine, every radio show, every TV show, every movie gets produced by one of six companies. And that's everybody works for the same people. And that's why the press is so bad. And that's why the people in the United States are so uninformed, which is why things will never change, because they don't know they're propagandized and empowered me for repeating myself. I'm sure I said it the last time I was here. But people in the United States think that propaganda is something that happens to people in other countries. And that is not a, it, 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 the people when it's happening to them in other countries, they know it. Right. So when people lived in Soviet Union, they knew the news wasn't the news. They knew it was propaganda coming from the government and they had to read between the lines. But when people well, turn on Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity or Anderson Cooper, they have no idea they're repeating CIA talking points that uh, come from capitalists and imperialists. They think they're getting the news from people who are critical of the government. It's And so that's why they're yeah. so they have no idea that they're that propagandized. And that's what leads us to here. And that's why we can have a demand guy like Joe Biden, which every turn it said, I mean, they said that Trump was supposed to embarrass the United States. What does that do? You know, in that $100 billion that they gave to Ukraine, you think they could have put a couple of dollars in there to buy a dog to lead Joe Biden off stage when he's done giving a speech, right? <laughs> now, uh, finally, uh, with a bit of good news, I saw some stats the other day that show that the aforementioned Rachel Maddow uh, has slumped 
to a tiny audience share in the United States. She was up there during the Russia Gate and all the rest, but she has slumped way below thee and even me in terms of audience. More than a million, 1.2 million people watched the mother of all talk shows in the last seven days. You've got a million subscribers on YouTube, more after this interview. You've got 100,000 subscribers on Rumble. People like you and Joe Rogan completely dwarf the audiences of these so-called mainstream media commentators. So the masses are switching them off and a significant number are switching on to alternative points of view. That's got to be good news. That is good news. And thank God for places like Rumble, uh, because uh, Google, which owns YouTube, you know, they are the military industrial complex. They are the CIA and the FBI. So if there was this thing called YouTube files, that they, they would reveal the same thing, just like the Twitter files revealed about Twitter, there would be uh, the same thing happening at YouTube. So they have a, all they have right is right now because the people are starting to see through. In fact, that was what Bernie Sanders kind of opened people's eyes to in the United States, a big percentage of, was that both parties were bought. And then as soon as Donald Trump became president, Bernie stopped telling that truth and people need to be reminded of it. And so what that's the thing they fear is that people on the left and the right realize that we're we're being uh, screwed over by a common enemy. And that is the military industrial complex, Wall Street, uh, health insurance. You know, we still don't have health care in the United States. We sent $100 billion to the Ukraine right in their faces. They're doing it now. This corruption is right in their faces. And the reason why we, uh, uh, so, well, it seems like we're never going to get health care in America. And uh, we're going to just going to keep funding war over and over. It's a sad state of affairs. And you're right, though, uh, if people do wake up, people are waking up to media like this. And I really do encourage people to go to Rumble because there's big censorship on YouTube. And uh, it, 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 there's lots of things you can't say that you need to say. And they, they you know, what do they censor the most? They censor the COVID narrative, the vaccines, they and they also censor war. So, you know, they don't let you tell. I mean, they were taking people down for telling the truth about Ukraine war uh, a lot. And I had to tiptoe around it and tell the truths in ways that people, you know, with a wink. And uh, so uh, if people realize that we're that the left and the right have a common enemy and that the billionaire owned media is making us blame each other for the pain that's been inflicted by the billionaire class, then it's all over for them. Right. And so that's the message of my show. And I think people are waking up to that. And my neighbor isn't my enemy. My enemy is the establishment and the oligarchy. And they said on January 6th, your democracy, they were trying to steal your democracy. Hey, I got news for you. They stole our democracy decades ago. Go. The corporations bought our government, which is why workers haven't had a raise since 1980. Wow. Jimmy Dore, as always, a great pleasure to see you here on the mother of all talk shows. More power to your microphone, the legendary Jimmy Dore. I'll be right back after a very short break. 60 seconds. Count them. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, my good wife has just told me that uh, it's not broadcasting live. The show is, for the first time in all these years, not broadcasting live on Twitter. 
And that's because Twitter have discontinued the ability to stream live a show like this, which is a very great pity. And self-harming, I think, because the people who were watching in the past, thousands of them every show uh, on Twitter, will now have to go elsewhere, and most of them will go elsewhere, and therefore off Twitter. And they may not go back to it quite as quickly as Mr. Elon Musk would like. So I, for one, deprecate that decision. I can think of no commercial, certainly no democratic reason for that decision. Uh, the poll, will the US or China be the dominant superpower in the next decade? A, US, 16% on Twitter. B, China, 84% on Twitter. On YouTube, yes, 12%, no, 88%. On Telegram, yes, 7%, no, 93%. That's 7% think the US will be the dominant superpower in the next decade. 16%, 12%, 7%, and on the community channel, 12%, where 10,000 people have voted. So 14,121 people have voted. You can vote right up till almost the end of the show. Please have your say. Uh, and of course, you've just been listening to my rendition of War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells on my Patreon page. I personally depend on that Patreon page. It's a good way to support me and my work uh, for the price of uh, less than a cup of coffee in a cafe per week. Actually, way less, maybe half, depending on the kind of cafe you frequent. So please search me out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Here's some comments from my good friends on Patreon tonight. Andy says, Jimmy Dore, James Melville, excellent combination. In regards to the vote, you'd have to be ting-tong crazy to imagine it would be the US that would be the dominant power in the next decade. Look at China. BRICS, mediation between Saudi and Iran, leaving America on the sidelines. Their monumental Belt and Road initiatives in Africa and the bonkers cuteness of Li Jingjing. What's not to love about that? Well, uh, you said it. I shouldn't. Paul McDonald says, why is everyone so paranoid about China? It's all about everyone rising economically together. What's wrong with that? Well, that's how it could have been, Paul. But some people will never accept no longer being the top dog. My good friend in America, Teresa Kelly, says there are so many reasons why warmongering USA is finally going to reap the horrors it has sown. The most obvious is that the evil empire is destined to collapse uh, the never-ending morons who continue to occupy the White House. A big, big hello to all my new patrons, and there have been several in the past week. It's great to have you with us. Let's go at the lines. Fra, an old friend of the show, is in Belfast on Bill Clinton and war crimes. Or is it Hillary Clinton and war crimes? Or is it both of them? Fra, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, George. Thanks for taking my call. Fantastic start to the show, as always. With your permission, I've just Thanks. four short uh, comments to make, if that's okay. Uh, firstly, you were talking about... Yes, thank you, George. You were talking about the good and the great who were queuing up for their selfies. I assume now we're kind of talking about uh, 
people who were revolutionary uh, Republicans, uh, people who were very, very, very progressive in the past, but they are now constitutional nationalists who have joined the establishment and in government are now failing to deliver for the people. So as many revolutionaries do, go on to become members of the establishment. Uh, that's the first thing I wanted to say. And then whenever Joe Biden arrived here several days ago, Gale Force Art, which is a, an art group in Belfast, went up into the mountains, the Black Mountains, which were adjacent to the main motorway. And along with uh, the Cuban Solidarity Campaign at BDS Belfast, they put up several flags to welcome Joe Biden to Belfast. There was a Cuban flag with the letters Unblock Cuba, there was a BDS flag, a Palestinian flag with BDS beside it. And Gale Force Art put up an Irish tricolour with no tornado. So not everyone wanted selfies with Joe Biden. And not everyone was happy with his visit. And on that, tomorrow at uh, Queen's University Belfast, we have Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and uh, Tony Blair, all people who I personally consider to be war criminals, are at an event at the university. And... Connolly, the Connolly Youth Movement and Lazar Jurg and anti-imperialists will be there at three o'clock to welcome these uh, war criminals with a uh, protest. And, and finally, it, we're talking about the American prison system and how there are more prisoners per capita in America than perhaps any other place in the world. On press television today, George, uh, there was an article about a black American inmate who was actually eaten alive by bedbugs. His lawyer had informed the governor of the uh, penitentiary where he's being held. Nothing was done, and this man died by being eaten alive by bedbugs. So uh, something sums up the failure of American politicians to defend the American people and their interests. Uh, I think that speaks volumes in itself. Well, it does speak volumes, but you expressed them so powerfully, uh, the volume uh, increased. Fra, thanks for that brilliant first call of the evening. Uh, David is in Swindon in England on Ireland. Go ahead, David. Okay, yeah, on Ireland. I'd like to talk about the juxtaposition of the United States vis-a-vis um, -vis Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, Palestine, Palestinian and Israelis. The, um, the Good Friday Agreement was great, but on, I'd give it about two out of ten on the world ranking of political, um, you know, stars. If they put as much effort into the Palestine problem as they have into the Ireland problem, perhaps they'd get somewhere. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, they I mean, they, yeah, they no, will really, not solve the Palestine question. They cannot because they have plighted their troth to Israel uh, in, in solid steel. Uh, it, will, it will never be broken. And so Israel is effectively a part of the United States and serves the interest of the United States imperial uh, system. And uh, nothing will change on that until the United States imperial system itself is broken. And that may be much closer than we think, David. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and juxtaposition, I just uh, was speaking to your researcher earlier, and I've got a, a little thought game. What would happen if um, Northern Ireland yeah, actually started to build housing estates, bracket settlements, over the border in Southern Ireland? What do you think Joe Biden would do then? 
What would he do? Do you think he'd get to the United Nations? Do you think he'd have sanctions? Do you think he'd have gated communities? It's a very, very good point. I've never thought of it, it before, is, yeah. David. Thanks my head, for it? that. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's very, very good, mate. Super chats uh, are coming in. We need these super chats to keep the midweek uh, mother of all talk shows alive and help us launch uh, the future shows elsewhere that we have planned. Moats America and Moats in German. Uh, I should say that in German. I'll need to learn it. Uh, but both of those are in the pipeline. Hope it doesn't get blown up like the Nord Stream pipeline. Moats auf Deutsch is the name of the show. Now, Daniela Modos Kutta, good friend of ours, sends £2.99. Thank you, Daniela. Sean Bebbington, £10.33. Greetings from the West Midlands. Thank you, Sean. Boca Janduma, a great friend of ours in the Netherlands, sends six euros. The only good thing about Pompeo these days is that there's less of him. I wonder if he'll go fat again now that he's no longer running for office. Peter Bogdanov sends $9.99 US. You are the light of truth. Keep fighting for the good. Thank you, Peter. Trevelyan Gale sends two pounds. Joyce, George, you are the voice of Give Peace a Chance. Thank you, sir. Uh, Eager Mass sends five British pounds. And McGonagall Moats, George Galloway, Fray the Silvery Tay. America will bray, hooray, and say, Hail Moats, USA. You'd have to know William McGonagall to know just how brilliant that is. Thank you. Stephen Cunningham sends five British pounds. Macron got the banker's shills to push through his tawdry bill in the courts. I hope the demos continue. I predict they'll multiply, Stephen. And Garland Nixon, the real one, sends $2 from the United States. God bless you, Garland. Uh, back to the lines. In the United States, Elliot is in Florida, but on the Dalai Lama. Go ahead, Elliot. Oh, thank you, George. Uh, first of all, you know, the show is, is wonderful as always, and your monologue was superb, except for one little fly in the soup kind of destroyed everything for okay. me. And that was your comments about the Dalai Lama. I am not a follower okay. of the Dalai Lama. I'm not, I've been a frequent critic of the Dalai Lama. But a uh, large part of my community, let's say, half political, half, you know, like a lot of them uh, in the cancel culture, others that are in the uh, spiritual community, they've been in a debate over this entire incident. And um, it, it seems as though um, the, 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 there are videos now coming out made by the Tibetan community members to explain that this is a uh, this video was uh, was spliced and and it, it was a smear uh, video. Whereas when you watch the entire video, which I now have, uh, and this is the case in so many times where we we rush to judgment, you see that um, the the community surrounding him is all supporting that the child himself asked to, uh, for a hug, and there's this. Tibetan tradition of the elders uh, having the child kiss them on a cheek and kiss them on the lips. And there's a, a phrase in which the tongue is used in Tibetan culture as a sign of respect, but also there's a phrase to, uh, uh, to eat candy off their tongue. The other point, the point I'm, I, I want to say about... No, no, um, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not, stop. I'm not letting you away with that first point. I'll let you come back in. It's deeply insulting to the Tibetan people to state that it's their tradition 
to lick strange little boys' tongues. It's even worse to employ the phrase that the boy asked for it. This was a paedophilic incident captured on camera. The boy is not old enough to ask for it. The boy is not old enough to consent to it. And ask for it being falsified, the Dalai Lama himself apologized for it. He apologized to the boy. He apologized to the boy's family. He apologized to the Tibetan people. He apologized to his co-religionists. And now you're telling me it wasn't even true? Why did he apologize? I saw him apologizing. I saw his lips move as he apologized. Answer yeah. that, Elliot. Well, you did see that, but you, 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 you probably you seem not to have seen the full video because in the full video, the boy asks him to be hugged and the boy runs up and hugs him. And there's and the, the people in the Tibetan community I've heard and listened to are saying exactly the opposite of you. They're saying that it is a, a, a custom and it's part of their tradition. So I don't think it, well, I, it, I don't it, know. But, because, because they're covering up for this old monk shuffling about in Gucci shoes, which you are paying for. You're paying for the Gucci shoes. Your country is paying millions of dollars to this pervert. Why? Because they like him? They like the color of his coat? Because they like Buddhism? They're paying him millions so he can cause trouble for China. And you're on here from the great state of Florida defending the indefensible, which even the Dalai Lama is not defending. He's apologizing. You are supporting. What kind of man are you, Elliot? Be gone hey, with hey. you. Back to the super chats. Sailing prepper Dark Secret sends 10 American dollars. I root for China and Russia. Maybe they can stop the United States from other bad things that the US has been doing. Doc Jazz sends uh, UAE dirhams 50. That's £10.96. Thank you, Doc. Always razor sharp, clear of mind, and steadfastly and eloquently debunking the imposed narrative. The world needs moats. Keep up the great work, George. Thank you, Doc. I'm boiling mad at Elliot in Florida. I must tell you, the little boy asked for it. He ran up and asked for it, for an old man to lick him on the tongue. Make me sick. David K sends 11 euros 99. Uh, nobody sends US dollar $7.77. Man must change or die. Eventually, all will be well. The world teacher, a.k.a. the Christ, Maitra Buddha, Imam Mahdi, Krishna, etc. See Benjamin Cream. Well, thanks for that. Lover of the Russian team, best name on the show, gives £1.99. Brilliant Jimmy Dore. Brilliant indeed he was. Nasri Akil sends 20 Canadian dollars. Why aren't you the king of the UK, GG? I thought you liked me, Nasri. Why would you wish that on me? Marriage to Camilla? Ha! Back to the lines. Jamie is in London on education. Go ahead, Jamie. Hi, George. How are you doing? All good. Um, I just wanted to say that um, I think if there was ever a vote um, for anybody to take over and reshape the education system from the 
from the roots onwards and upwards. You'd be the man for it. I know it's a big job. <laughs> um, I'm ready. But, I'm ready. You get the. You produce the revolt. I'll do that job. Sure. Um, well, yeah. I just think it's something that needs doing. It's a strong, strong view of mine. I went through the education system um, in the UK, and countless horror stories from here to the end of the world about schools and so on and so on. And it needs complete restructuring. Complete restructuring. Um, we're just suffering midlife, late well, life, uh, due to the beginning uh, of life. I, I agree. I, I, I agree entirely. I have five children and five grandchildren, all in school. So I'm invested in ten uh, little children who are in the education system, uh, all but uh, three of them in England. Uh, so seven in England. Uh, and I can compare and contrast the Scottish education system uh, now with the one that I myself was educated in. And it's not a pretty sight on either side of the border. And I've come to the conclusion that education is being bent and twisted uh, to serve a political mandate rather than to teach our children the basic facts that they need to know, the means of working out basic facts that they need to know and the development of a curious intellect to make them want to go search out facts that they need to know. And that's inconvenient to the people that run our country. Thanks, Jamie. Sorry to cut you short, but it is the bridge of the hour. And I have got James Melville coming up. A man from Scotland like me, a man from the same corner of Scotland like me, who has become, just like Jimmy Dore, obviously on a lesser scale so far, but just like Jimmy Dore, a tower of the new media landscape to whom people look and listen. It helps that he has the perspicacious and mellifluous northeast Scottish accent that I do myself. He's coming up right after this break. James Melville, stay tuned. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. James Melville. Uh, came to my notice on social media. Uh, he does occasionally get a gig on, on GB News, but I mainly follow him on social media, and I'm endlessly impressed, as an increasing number of people are. I'm not sure what his politics are. I am sure they're not the same as mine. But he is, in a way, the living embodiment of what Jimmy Dore said that people on the left and the right have to wake up to the fact that actually what matters is what's right and what's wrong. 
And actually what matters is that we have a common enemy which is trying to suppress our ability to come to the conclusion of what is right or what's wrong. It is a common enemy that is the mass media, that is the legacy media and the big tech companies that control the new media. At least that's how I see it. Let's hear what James thinks. James Melville, welcome back uh, to the mother of all talk shows. I don't know if you heard Jimmy Dore earlier, but he, he, would, he very powerfully, for me anyway, made the point that, you know, it doesn't much matter whether you're left or right as much as it matters whether you're right or wrong, as much as it matters whether you're going to be allowed to argue your case so that other people can decide what's right and what's wrong. That's surely the, the zeitgeist of this 2023, isn't it? I completely agree. I've been talking about this for a very long time, especially over the last three or four years where the world's changed in a lot of ways, as we know. And a lot more people actually are more politically engaged through the COVID era. But I feel, and I think you might as well, I haven't left the left. For my entire, you know, I've studied politics, I've worked in politics, I've campaigned in politics. I've been left to centre. But what's happened to the old left to centre is no longer there. Well, it's parts of it are, but it's been hijacked by a new sort of corporate wokeism left of centre, a sort of fraudulent left of centre. I haven't left the left, but aspects of the left have left me. And one of those aspects with the new sort of bastardised left is a suppression and cancel culture. So the very things that I was talking about on the other side of COVID back 2019 before, about austerity, mental health issues, problems with education, waiting lists, business bankruptcies, they were all on this side of COVID, the collateral damages of the responses of COVID. And where were some of the left on that? Well, they turned a blind eye. And I think what we've got is a bigger picture issue whereby some of the left, if I'm really honest, have been hoodwinked by a corporate virtue contract, whereby unless you're on their side, then somewhere you're going to be smeared as a bigot or a conspiracy theorist of far right. It's actually far from it, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of my political views haven't changed at all. They've been reinforced by what's happened in the last few years. But I think we are facing a virtue contract where we have bad governments, corporatist governments, technocrats are unelected, and also bad actor, you know, computer salesmen, billionaires, and a few others, who are wrapping around a lot of the agendas, not because they're our friend, not because they're trying to take care of us or make a better planet, because we're seeing the biggest asset grab in the history of the planet right now. And the figures borne that out. Over the last three years, there's been more wealth transfer from the 99% to the 1% than in the history of the planet. So therefore, we have to ask the questions why. And it comes back to that point that millions of people are getting hoodwinked by this enormous virtue contract under the auspice of safety and security and convenience as well. Yeah, and the power, I mean, the, the closure, Germany closed its last three uh, nuclear plants this weekend. Uh, and that has been accompanied by uh, a 45% increase in the electricity bills of the Germans. Just like that. This whole uh, zero uh, campaign that at COP23 in Glasgow, there were trying to outbid each other. 
is actually beggaring the planet, it's beggaring the people whose governments were fighting each other as to who could sign up for the more extreme prescriptions, no? Exactly. And it's crass logic solutions. It's, it's basically, we've got a problem, they come up with a solution, and they create five more problems. Net Zero is a perfect example of this. You know, I'm a lifelong environmentalist. But whatever happened talking about environment in the round? What are we talking about pollution in the round? Instead, we've got crass logic solutions that aren't actually saving the planet. There's a number of these, for instance. A perfect example, just to take one, would be electric cars. We're a component of electric cars is made from cobalt extract that's put into the lithium-ion battery. Now, guess where that comes from, largely? 70% of cobalt supply is from Congo, where you've got over 40,000 child slaves to produce that, and they're plundering the landscapes. How is that saving the planet? Instead, it's destroying the landscape under the auspice of do-good and virtue, but meanwhile, there's over 40,000 child slaves plundering this through the mines of Congo. There's other aspects, for instance, of wind turbines as well, where balsa wood from the Amazon is used as a component for the blades. How is that saving the planet? And so what's happening with a lot of this issue by issue, COVID response, net zero being another, they're providing solutions that are taking away a lot of freedoms for people and providing solutions that aren't actually doing the thing that they say that's supposed to be doing, and that's solving the problem. In fact, they're creating a multitude of other problems. I think a lot of it is a gigantic corporate contract. The individuals who are pushing this from government technocrats and corporates are exploiting the people by the auspice of control to plunder and also increase their own wealth. But they're not actually solving the problems that they claim to solve. No, exactly. And uh, the, the corporate involvement in culture war issues uh, First of all, I don't see the commercial logic of it. I don't know why Bud Light decided to uh, engage a trans person uh, to be their face. It has spectacularly backfired and increased enmity against trans people. Uh, the, uh, I think Revlon, uh, if I've not got the brand wrong, but certainly a cosmetics company, have done the same. What is it about this wokeness uh, that the corporates are so excited about? I've spoken myself before as the father of five mixed-race children. I love to see uh, mixed-race and mixed couples on the media, but it turns out, as my wife pointed out to me, it seems like 99.9% .9 of the couples in Britain are mixed because that's what the advertising industry has decided to show you. Uh, so I don't understand the commercial logic in a country of 88% white people, why white people can't get on TV ads or why they can't be married to each other uh, on TV ads. I don't understand why uh, culture wars are being ignited by uh, corporate interests. You're a younger man. Tell me why. Only, only just younger, George, give or take a decade. <laughs> but um, I think it's, it's about divide and rule. We're focusing, you know, governments, corporates in a lot of ways, they're focusing on the wrong areas and they're whipping up culture wars. I agree with that. So everyone's squabbling about a multitude of issues. Yet we should actually, the one thing that unifies most of us is bad governments. Look at the cost of living crisis. That affects everyone apart from the 1% again, who are plundering everything, whether it's 
energy, whether it's food, whether it's to do with data, whether it's to do with financial services. Now, the one thing that connects that under the auspice, again, of control is digitalization of all of these things. You know, digital ID seems to be connecting all of these aspects. And Tony Blair was wanging on again the other day about the need for digital ID. You know, he's been doing that for 20 years. Tony Blair, by the way, go slightly off subject here. He should have no place on any public forum anywhere in the world telling us, plebs, how to live. You know, based on what happened in Iraq, he should be nowhere near the debate. And there's arguments that Bill Gates shouldn't be near the debate as well. But I think, going back to what you were saying, we're taking our eyes off the important issues. One of those important issues is the increased levels of poverty in many places around the Western world. Now, I spent five weeks in Dundee, as you know well, Dundee, in Nainmore's Hospital. Because my father was in there. But I had time within that to walk around Dundee, and I spoke to a lot of the people in areas like Dens and Whitfield and so on. Dundee is a perfect example of a, a once proud enterprise-driven city through the industrial era, but post-deindustrialization, it's been left to rot. It's been hollowed out. And the citizens, the good citizens of Dundee, they feel disenfranchised. No one's speaking to them. Part of that is Westminster problem, part of that is Scottish government problem as well, but they're forgotten about. They're the real problems you should be focusing on, rather than the culture wars that are whipped up by many aspects of our media and our governments and our corporates to deflect from where the serious issues are. Now, this comes back to the original point that I said, saying, I haven't left the left, the left has left me. Where the left on issues like what's happening in Dundee, and not just Dundee, in many parts of, say, America, parts of France, parts of Germany, parts of the northeast, northwest of England. These areas have been hauled out for decades, and they're the real issues that need to be addressed. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about this digital currency, James. I, I took quite a long time to switch on to it, maybe because I didn't realize quite how vulnerable I would be. Uh, but if they effectively abolish money, uh, they're able to literally turn you off to make you a non-person, as uh, Jimmy Dore was just uh, talking about. They could make you financially completely non-viable uh, just by the flick of a switch, by a decision, just like uh, the decisions that are made on social media by the big tech moguls. The state could instruct the uh, banks uh, to whom they are beholden, uh, to just close James Melville down, cut off his account, uh, don't allow him to use his card, cancel his card, and money ain't allowed anymore. That's going to make us all prisoners. Or we're going to have to self-censor ourselves so that that doesn't happen uh, to us. It's a very worrying thing, no? I think that's a possibility. I think, George, if they start censoring us based on what we've been saying in our commentaries, media and social media, we'll be first on the list. <laughs> so we might, yeah. we might have to store some, some old-fashioned cash. But I think there is something in this. I mean, if you look, for instance, to central bank digital currencies, which are coming down the tracks, a lot of it under the radar, you ask the average punter what's going on with central bank digital currencies, people don't know. Because the government and the media aren't really disclosing it enough. But there's pilot schemes going on around the world executive orders in the states rishi sunak our unelected self-entitled prime minister is a big fan of this and they're now advertising for positions with the bank of england for central bank digital currency in terms of design implementation and governance of this now what this means 
is the state effectively has the ultimate control over financial transactions. What this could mean, the risk factor, is we end up on a pathway, some sort of Trojan horse towards social credit systems. Now, again, it's another aspect of digital ID that's locking us in. You know, we've gone through the story a little bit before, though, George, because if you remember back in the pandemic, vaccine passports, one of the most illiberal policies ever produced, was a form of a social credit system. It was saying if you don't take this jab, then you're going to lose some of your freedoms, your social freedoms, and in some places, even your employment freedoms. If you look at the care workers, over 40,000 left the industry because they didn't take the jab. But that was linked, obviously, to the vaccine passport. Financial, through central bank digital currencies, is a much bigger scale of this. And it does lead to the risk that if we say something that the government don't like, or possibly we drive too much, or you know we've got our energy up too high, whatever it might be, they could link that in as a form of a controlled social credit system. But it's also bigger than that. The state should not ultimately have control over financial transactions because that's the ultimate aspect of freedom. So I'm deeply concerned about that. And I think the way they're approaching it is it's like a sort of under the radar mission creep towards yeah. us. But there needs to be an open We're debate about it. We're sleepwalking. We're sleepwalking yeah. into it, really. Definitely. And I think there needs to be... No. A public debate whereby both sides of the argument are openly talking about, on one side, the benefits, if there is any for this. They'll sell it as convenience and financial safety. They always do. But on the other side, the experts warning about the perils of this. It's too important to just slip through in complicated, under-the-radar legislation that isn't reported about in the media. This is effectively our financial transactions freedoms on the line combined with the possibility of a gateway to a social credit system that should have no place in a liberal and free society. Finally, James, uh, the leaders of the Western world, Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak, uh, were together uh, in Northern Ireland in the last couple of days. Did they fill you with a great deal of confidence that... Uh, they know what they're doing and they should be allowed to get on with it? Oh, not at all. They're corporate politicians. I mean, I, I once described Joe Biden as an ineffectual phantom. I mean, that's, that's effectively what he is. And there seems to be a legacy with American presidents who come across and, to put it mildly, patronise the good people of Northern Ireland about how to do politics. You know, it goes back to you know Kennedy, you know, Reagan was doing this. Clinton is doing this. Now, you know, O'Biden is doing this, drinking his pint of Guinness and the rest of it and getting his facts wrong, as always. And I find it, I find it deeply patronising. And, and Sunak's the same thing. He's Emperor's New Clothes Prime Minister. What has he actually achieved since he's been in the job? He said it was all going to be about transparency and accountancy and all of this stuff that's management speak. But he hasn't actually achieved anything. And we're on a race to the bottom with our politicians. I mean, maybe I'm sounding old here, but I remember back in the sort of 80s and 90s, whether you agreed with the left or the right, um, you know, there was heavyweights. They understood the issues. And most of them were trying to do it. And the, the reason why we pay their taxes or pay their wages, pay our taxes, is because they're supposed to be serving us. They're not. They're serving themselves and their corporatist friends. They're feathering their own nests. I mean, Sunak, is, he's like a machine politician. Joe Biden, I mean, if that's the best that America can provide, then God help America. 
But that's where we are. And it's God not help just in us. America. Every, yeah, if Rishi is the best that we can produce, God help us. James Melville, as always, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Do follow James on social media. He's always worth it. Mohammed, who is, I think, in Germany, uh, but who wants to talk about Britain. Why not? Mohammed, go ahead. Um, first and foremost, um, I totally, um, I am totally honored uh, to have a w small word uh, with your honorable personality. You're such a brave um, person, uh, like a mountain in this uh, times that we are going uh, in. Um, secondly, um, thank I you. have um, sent. I truly thank you. Um, Secondly, I have sent you a book um, um, w while uh, b before a couple of uh, weeks. Uh, unfortunately, you were um, uh, you, you personally were in China. Um, um, it, it, it wasn't it was delivered in Soho, but unfortunately, it wasn't uh, delivered to you. It was about uh, the topics that I'm just having a small minute to speak about. Um, First and foremost, uh, we know that such uh, institution like Chatham House, CFR, Bilderberg Group, the Tritillier Commission, Freemasonry, Rosicrucian, the Club of Rome, Rand Corporation, these are all corporations that have to do with this um, uh, begriff, uh, this uh, concept of uh, deep state. But nonetheless, we always speak in the media about the deep state of uh, America, the United States. Uh, the President Putin once said before a couple of years, it doesn't matter who comes to uh, after the election in uh, the United States. There will be some guys who will come to them with uh, very fancy uh, suits, and they will tell them what the real uh, stuff is. Either they will go along or not. Mostly they will, but Trump did not. Now, I don't know if you have heard about the Committee of 300. This committee is in England, and it's very old. It's since 1727. And when you have honorably, thank you very much, spoke about the hypocrites of the House of Lords and the hypocrites of Britain, like your lastly, dearly guest, Melville, he said that they are like machines. It is really uh, weird that we see such small personalities, small age presidents in West Europe that has really nothing to say, but in fact are being told what to say. You know better about this. Um, all what I am asking is why aren't we speaking about the deep state of England? Thus, it's very old. Uh, that's all what I had to say. Well, of course, there is a deep state in uh, England, in the UK. Uh, it was uh, deployed uh, through all the dirty arts uh, to destroy uh, the Labour leadership of Jeremy Corbyn to avoid the possibility. It would only have been a possibility that he might have been a prime minister of a different type. Uh, perhaps they overreacted to him. Perhaps he wouldn't have made the kind of radical changes that I would have made if I had been the Prime Minister. 
but perhaps they weren't prepared to take that risk. Uh, perhaps uh, the possibility even that a Jeremy Corbyn prime ministership would have been a radical departure, uh, particularly in foreign affairs. I think they can live with uh, tuppence on or off the income tax or this or that on or off the National Health Service budget and so on. I think they can live with that. But anything that touches on the core uh, international, global issues uh, is something that they perhaps were not prepared to take the risks uh, on. But, and here you and I may part company, uh, if the implication, it may not have been, but let me make an inference that may or may not be true. If your implication is that the English ruling class and deep state, because of its greater longevity, uh, is somehow guiding the ruling classes of the rest of the world, I believe that you are wrong. I believe that the smallness uh, of the leadership of the United Kingdom is because the leadership uh, reflects the relative importance of the United Kingdom. We have become a wholly owned subsidiary of the United States of America. So I know that there are people, I'm not saying you are one of them, uh, the LaRouche uh, outfit, for example, in the United States and around the world, uh, who think that somehow Buckingham Palace is where it's at, that the Duke of Edinburgh uh, was uh, chief lizard, uh, shape-shifting the rest of the world. I don't believe that. I never believed it, and I certainly don't believe it now. The Duke of Edinburgh is long gone, and so is Britain's leadership role in the world. I'm embarrassed that our leader is Rishi Sunak. I'm genuinely cringed, embarrassed about that. Martin is in Scotland on the emergency phone system next weekend. Martin, welcome. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good afternoon, Georgia. Um, nice to speak to you again. Uh, I, the, the emergency phone call that they're filing next week, a um, bit allegedly relates to uh, weather emergencies or terrorist threats or, or, or any, any other thing you you can think of, except uh, I really think it's a, a nuclear attack warning um, based on... Yeah, uh, but the thing is, uh, yeah, I, I get that, Martin, uh, but the, the thing is, there is no defence against a nuclear attack. Uh, the royal family... Uh, some of them, they'll keep some of them out, uh, and the top leaders of the government will be in a bomb-proof bunker, but what kind of country will they emerge to uh, after the bomb? Uh, everybody else will be dead, everything else will be poisoned, there will be nothing to eat or drink or breathe that will not kill you, so there's only so many cans of beans you can eat in your nuclear bunker. So what would be the point of knowing through an alarm on your phone that there was about to be a nuclear bomb dropped on you? What are you going to do? Get under the table? Hide under the stairs? Like they used to tell us in the 1980s when nuclear bombs were not even a half as powerful as the nuclear bombs that we're talking about today. So I don't get it. 
Now, luckily, I'm not in the country and I'm not using a British phone. And so I won't get the alert. But even if there is to be a nuclear alert and a nuclear attack, I'd rather be right in the epicenter. I'd rather be vaporized in a millisecond than to die a lingering death, having watched everyone I love die a lingering death, uh, by being, as it were, uh, outside of the epicenter. Last word to you, Martin. Well, I just uh, I feel that uh, because the, the lack of knowledge of what's going on in, in Ukraine and how much the UK forces are involved over there, and it's nothing's been publicised, everything's hidden, uh, it's like we're being led up the the garden path, if you like, um, waiting for a phone call. Eh? Up to the slaughterhouse. Just, yeah, yeah. We're, well, we're going you, up you the know, path you know, to the slaughterhouse, Martin. Exactly, and uh, everything's been kept in the dark, and and the newspapers are complicit in hiding information and censoring oh. information. Oh. oh, tell me about it. it. Took them 14 years so, to discover where uh, where Sturgeon and Murrell's uh, Portugal uh, Algarvian villa was. 14 years it took them. You couldn't make it up. Martin, thanks for the call. Imogen is in Cheltenham. Wants to talk about the White House. Go ahead, Imogen. Well, it, actually, it was more about saying thank you to um, all of your listeners because a few months back, um, I phoned in and I was really worried about Gonzalo Lira because he'd just gone missing. And so I asked your um, listeners if they would um, write, you know, like, you know, start a big writing campaign and, you know, try and, try and you know, get him back from where he was. And, um, and your people did that, like your listeners, your listeners did that. They wrote and they were polite and everything. And, um, so I kind of wanted to feed back to them and say that you're all stars. Thank you so much for doing that. Because I notice now that the White House website has changed and it has a bit included where they say, we would like to hear from you. Please write to us or phone us or text us. And I just, I just wanted to say that's another step towards making everybody's voice heard. So thank you very much to you. And also, thank you very much to all of your listeners. Thank you, Imogen. What a beautiful call and a very positive one. I appreciate it very much. Patrick is in Canada, in British Columbia. Go ahead, Patrick. Hey, George. Uh, I just finished up my semester at uh, university, and I'm pretty much done my degree now. And I, I got in political science, but I have to be honest, I, I learned more from George Galloway and Jimmy Dore than I ever did inside the halls of those universities. Um, How so just kind. To get to the, the point, How kind. Thank you so much. I, yeah. Truly. Um, it's worth it to get to the degree, but like, truly, I'd have to like, plug my ears at times listening to uh, these political scientists talk about foreign mm -hmm. affairs. Um, but anyways, my question sure. is, what would you say to someone who, we talked about Ukraine and Libya recently in an ethics class, and the professor says, NATO only killed about 20 people in Libya, and he also said that uh, Ukrainian Nazis are a conspiracy theory made up by the Russian state media. Well, I mean, what do you even say to people like this? 
like they operate in a different world. It seems. Uh, it's uh, yeah, they live in a parallel universe, or they're lying. Uh, these are the only two possible alternatives. Uh, they're either fools or knaves. The age-old question I have been posing for uh, 50 years, are these people fools or knaves? And which would be worse, if they were fools or if they were knaves? Uh, are they too uh, stupid to believe that? Uh, or are they too wicked uh, in telling us what are blatant untruths? Uh, the Ukrainian Nazis were copiously reported by the Western media, including in Canada, before last year. The BBC, CBC, uh, MSNBC, CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the London Times, the Guardian, all of them reported copiously about the existence of large-scale elements of Ukrainian Nazis. And now it's a conspiracy theory to mention it. Well, if you believe that it's a conspiracy theory, you're a fool, or you don't believe it, but you're lying, in which case you are a knave. And as for NATO only killing about 19 people in Libya, I'm not sure whether to laugh or cry at that. NATO remorselessly bombed Libya to bring an alphabet soup of Islamist head chopping, throat cutting, heart eating, fanaticism to power in Libya. That's what they deliberately set out to do, to destroy the Libyan state and usher in this, as it's turned out, cacophonous cats fighting in a bag, medley of Islamist fanatic uh, grouplets and groupuscles who have then gone on to murder each other in large numbers to the extent to which Libya no longer effectively exists as a country, which for me is a very great tragedy. But even if you don't agree with me, uh, then it has blown open the doors. It has blown the bloody doors off Africa to the European lake called the Mediterranean and through which have come millions of Africans or people from Asia exiting through Africa who are landing on the beaches in Britain, in Italy, in Greece, in Spain. And so to exculpate NATO over Libya is so breathtaking. If I was in your class and the lecturer said that to me, I would make a citizen's arrest on him for impersonating a university professor. Patrick, thanks for the call. Uh, final few super chats. Thanks again for donating uh, tonight. GDNPB again sends another 10 American dollars. This is all planned. That's why they stole the last election. The bankers are moving from the West to Asia and taking all our stolen gold with them while isolating the West from the rest. Rudolf Grasspointer sends 10 euros. Jimmy for president, George for prime minister. Then the world would be at peace. Thank you, Rudolf. Barbara Fortion 
$1.99. Thanks, Babs. Michael Enright, 10 euros. Thank you, Michael. Sailing Prepper Dark Secrets, another 5 US dollars. Twitter has lost a great show. And you are a great man, George. Always your friend, Melvin from New York. Thanks, Melvin. Haven't heard from you for a while. The poll is now closed. 16,507 people voted. On Twitter, 16% think US will be the dominant superpower in the next decade. But on YouTube, it's only 11. On Telegram, it's only 6. And on the YouTube community poll, it is 12. By contrast, on Twitter, 84% think it will be China. On YouTube, 89%. On Telegram, 94%. And on YouTube community poll, 88%. Thanks to all who voted. Last few calls now. Uh, Chris is in Colchester, wants to talk about RFK Jr. Go ahead, Chris. Hiya, George. Um, yeah, no, good, I just heard you, heard you mention him last week and you just said um, you don't agree with him on a few things. I just wondered what they were. Hmm. I don't think I would want to dwell on them, uh, but uh, I think, as I said last week, I didn't go all the way with them uh, over the COVID issue, and I don't go all the way with them on the COVID issue now. But of the candidates that have so far emerged, he is the outstanding candidate by a country mile. And I think that if RFK Jr. runs, he'll prove a big problem for the so-called Democratic Party in the United States. They will not be able uh, to treat him as an interloper. He's royal family Democrat, yeah? They will not be able to stop the public from knowing of his existence because anybody called Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is going to very quickly be a big figure in public consciousness in an election season. Uh, they're not going to be able to keep them off the debates. They're not going to be able to persuade people that, uh, that Joe Biden is uh, more presidential than RFK Jr. And certainly not that Kamala Harris is. So I happen to think that RFK Jr. is in with the big shout. But if they cheat him, as they cheated Bernie Sanders, I think he has to run as a third party candidate. That's really the uh, import of, uh, of my um, feelings uh, about him, Chris. Thanks for the call. Lance is in Canada. Let's hear from him. Let's get as many in as we can before the end of the show. Lance, go ahead. Hey, George. How are you? I, I will I'm good. Thank you very much. Yeah, your call from Patrick. Patrick has called twice now wondering why his professors, you don't want to tell him the truth about, you know, Libya, one of the richest countries in the world, or tell the truth about the Ukraine. And and my thought on that is this. It's not every professor is a George Galloway willing to fight for the truth or Claire Daly. Uh, that professor, mm. if he said, if he if he said in class, yeah, you're right, um, there are Nazis in Ukraine or, or something like that. And he went against the counter narrative. He might find himself in the CBC headlines tomorrow 
and a headline saying, Professor at University of British Columbia denies is a Putin apologist or something like that, right? And he might find himself in a, in a, in a hurricane that he doesn't want to be. Otherwise, he can just, you know, take his retirement and, you know, he sort of do his job and go off softly into the night. So that is a big decision or a big turn for a professor to take, you know. His only, that professor's only comfort is that 30 or 40 years from now, the people behind him can tell the truth about what happened 40 years ago, possibly. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm sure he knows. I'm sure that but whatever professor... happened, whatever happened, Lance, to the, uh, to the idea of academic freedom, whatever happened to the idea of courage, whatever happened to the moral imperative uh, for a teacher to uh, speak the truth to their students, uh, to at least admit the existence of competing truths to their, uh, to their students. Uh, let's deal with this hypothetical. Uh, please, sir, uh, I've heard there are Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, you could argue uh, that there are Nazis in Ukraine, but there are Nazis in Canada. Uh, there are Nazis in every country. The Nazis in Ukraine might be relatively more significant, powerful, important, because of the Second World War, because of the Holocaust in the East, but they are not calling the shots. Uh, the president is Jewish. Uh, you could make a case. You could lay out a smorgasbord uh, of competing arguments and ideas and allow the students to make up their mind, couldn't you, Lance? Wouldn't that be the morally courageous thing for the professor to do? It might be morally courageous, but you could also have a student who just wants attention, who goes off to the CBC News and says, my professor says there's Nazis in the Ukraine, and, and they love the headline, and they run with it. And we've seen enough, enough mainstream media people be choked and fired uh, but then we see a reporter who recently went to Crimea uh, and asked people how they felt. He's been, you know, that, that, though I'm sure all the people who are associated with that production, him himself, I'm sure they all don't have jobs anymore. So uh, it, it, it is a courageous decision to fight, um, I think. And I think the ruling class have, uh, have, have realized that uh, they didn't take have the made it, Have made it that. Very intelligent people. Well, they're, they're very intelligent people like Douglas McGregor, who talked 30, 20, 30 years ago to them about building our infrastructure and making us competitive in a globalized world and, and forgetting about war, war, war all the time uh, because it doesn't always go your way, is, uh, is, you know, they didn't take that lesson. So now they have to double down. And now, I mean, now Poland's airwaves are, you know, almost completely devoid of truth and the Poles are being brainwashed to line up next to go against Russia and the Estonians and the Czechs. So, uh, I mean, we're dealing with some, some forces that want what they want. So, I don't know. Uh, and, and I think I wouldn't want to... Well, I, it's I a very powerful... Uh, yeah. yeah. If go I was on, coming finish. close to my pension at UB... If I was coming close to my, you know, $150,000 a year pension at UBC, I might be... Uh, I might, it might be a hard decision for me to say, hey, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, George? I know what you're saying, but I have difficulty computing it. Uh, and thanks for that call, Lance. A brilliant last call uh, of the evening. I, I have, 
difficulty in computing it because it would never occur to me uh, to remain silent about the truth. If it had, uh, I might have ended up living in 10 Downing Street if I had been prepared to, uh, to remain silent about what I knew to be the truth. And uh, because it never occurred to me, I suppose it should, but it doesn't occur to me that other people are going to be moral cowards. And what you've just described there, Lance, is what uh, uh, impelled Francis Bacon to say what he said about self-censorship. Uh, he called it uh, the arrow that flies in the night. In other words, you don't see it because the person censored themselves and never said what it would uh, have had to be censored. They merely suppressed the truth uh, in themselves. So, for example, I knew more about uh, what was the situation in Iraq than anybody else in Britain, or maybe in the world, because I was amongst the very, very few and certainly the only parliamentarian uh, who was regularly traveling to Iraq to study the situation there, to talk with uh, the Iraqi leadership there. And therefore I knew that what was being said to lead us down that path to the slaughterhouse were lies. And it never occurred to me as a parliamentarian I'll need to accept these lies. I'll need to keep quiet about them because it will imperil my pension. It will imperil my position. Uh, it will have me kicked out of the Labour Party and thus kicked out of Parliament. None of that ever occurred to me. I'm driven by, I think, a higher cause than that. Here I stand. I can do no other because I have a conscience. I believe that my conscience is my daily communion with God. Therefore, if I defy my conscience, then I am, I am offending God. I am being sacrilegious. I am defying the conscience that God gave me. In so doing, I am imperiling my future in this life and definitely in the next one. So because I believe, I could not do that. And I would rather be fired, whether from the UBC or as I was fired from the Parliamentary Labour Party. I would rather take my stand over what I believe in, which I did and won twice against Mr Blair's Labour Party in parliamentary elections. But even if I had lost, it would never have occurred to me that I had done the wrong thing. And I have been lucky uh, that I have a family that would never have asked me or expected me to or accepted me doing if I had been of a mind to do it. I've run out of time. In fact, I'm over time. And so it merely remains for me to say uh, that I'll be back, uh, God willing, on Wednesday evening at the slightly later time of 9pm UK time. Don't forget, make an appointment to view. 
And if you've enjoyed the show, as last week 1.2 million people did, just think about that, 1.2 million people did in the last week, then bring another viewer with you. You'll be doing all of us and the world a favor. It's been marvelous. Good night.